Welcome to the Rennie Podcast, a podcast about the real estate market and the people connected by it. We seek to empower our listeners to make informed decisions while providing context for the real estate world around them. We hope that with every episode, you become a little more knowledgeable and a lot more curious. Today, we're discussing the latest residential real estate data across the Vancouver region for September 2021. We'll focus on our three key insights. Inventory continues to be limited. The imbalance between sales and inventory has propped up prices. And while inventory is constrained, it's not because of a lack of new listings. My name is Justine Liu, Managing Broker at Rennie, and joining us today, as always, is Ryan Berlin, our Senior Economist and Director of Intelligence, Ryan Wise, our Senior Analyst with our Intelligent Department, and we're excited today to welcome Ryan Wong, who's been with Rennie for over 18 years and has been a real estate advisor with Rennie for nine years. He's been ranked top 10% of realtors in the Greater Vancouver for the past eight years. Welcome, Ryan's. Thank Hello. you. Hey, Ryan. Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Jessica and Ryan. <laughs> Special treat today. We have three Ryans in the room. How's everybody doing today? Good. Excited good. for this. So we just passed Thanksgiving, which we know means that Halloween is right around the corner. You guys have special plans? Looking forward to seeing a few more trick-or-treaters out this year than yes. last year. It'd be nice. Then you don't have to eat all the candy that was left I over. mean, I still will. <laughs> yeah, just on the candy hunt. But I'll be going uh, up to Whistler for the for the weekend. Just oh, that'll be fun. Just a small group, yeah, getting away. Scare nice. some kids up there? Yeah, just hide. Just hide myself. <laughs> <laughs> So let's get right into our first insight here, which is inventory continues to be limited. September inventory was 12,379, down 36% from last year. So Ryan, the story of constrained inventory is one we've discussed here before. It's becoming more constrained over time. And how is that affecting the overall health of the market? Yeah, so it's pretty interesting. I mean, we often, I think we talked about this last time as well, but we often focus when we talk about real estate, we talk about sales because those are actual transactions. Somebody agreed to sell their home and someone agreed to purchase the home at some price. Um, So, and when we say inventory, just to be clear for everyone, we're talking about at a given point in time, it's the number of homes that are available for purchase, right? So it's sort of like the product on the shelf. And so that number 12,379 is not going to mean a lot to most people when we're viewing that or thinking of that in a regional context. Um, but as you said, Justine, down 36% from last year, last year was kind of an odd year. So, mm-hmm. you know, what does that, where does that leave us? Well, September's inventory was actually the lowest inventory in September that we've ever seen um, in this region. We're talking about a market where there's just not much on offer and we still have a lot of buyers out there, right? We've seen sales. We peaked at 9,000 sales back in uh, March. Um, and since then, quite literally every month since then, we've seen the number of sales decline. I would suggest or propose the notion that it's not because there aren't would-be buyers out there, mm-hmm. but because there there aren't as many options or or realistic options for the people that are looking. I mean, we hear Ryan Wong, you can chime in on this for sure mm-hmm. um, because you work directly with clients both buyers and sellers but all i hear about are um, scenarios where a, a home that you know not a home with a hole in the roof or you know has a couple um you know oil tanks buried in the front yard but you know move in ready homes go on the market and there'll be dozens you know maybe even a hundred viewings you know over a very short period of time and within a week that home has sold and it's yeah. and it's off the market. Yeah, common commonplace for sure. We we experience that not only ourselves, but you know, um, we have an RNA chat 
and realtors have uh, market banter and what's going on with their listings, et cetera, and what they're seeing out there. And we're hearing it very often still. Um, very limited supply, but it's there's still definite buyers. I think the buyers are, there's a, there's a little bit of fatigue and the fatigue changes. It's like before, let's say March, April, um, when there was a lot of activity still of buyers, but a lot of listing activity, there was more inventory to pull from when it started. Um, the fatigue was different, but they were swinging the bat, swinging the bat. There was always something to go out there and swing the bat at. Um, now it's almost like sometimes they're sitting for a week and there's like, is the, is the list, is the MLS working? Is my search working? Like, you know, mm-hmm. is it like, you know, so they're getting this fatigue of not only am I going, not being able to swing the bat, but, um, when they're out there, they're, they're competing still again. So it's, uh, it's becoming more difficult of this, will this happen type scenario. It's interesting as well, because <clears throat> we harken back to the spring and that's when we saw the, like the average days on market measure for homes that had sold was like quite literally at an all time low. Like it was in the single digits of days, which is incredible. When you think about that, like a home is actually is, is listed on the MLS and then, you know, within, I think at its low point, and we were seeing homes on average selling in seven days. So that goes from listing to sometimes a viewing for realtors and then an open house or two on the weekend and then offer accepted. And it's an incredibly fast turnaround. But from the um, the lows that we were seeing for uh, days on market back in the spring, the, the average days on market for homes that were selling started to move upwards until September when that that number fell again. And I know Ryan Wise, uh, you were looking into the data and had some had some thoughts. Yeah, so I think uh, going back to the spring, we really saw a frenzied pace, um, and that came through in the measure of the days on market that we like to look at. Um, so it was, like you said, single digits. It got as low as seven days uh, in the Fraser Valley board area in March and April, um, and about eight days in the greater Vancouver board area. Um, and that as things kind of slowed down in the summer, so June, July, August, it kind of crept up to about two weeks, which is still below that sort of five-year average that we've looked at in the past that comes in at 18, 19 days, a little under three weeks. Um, And then sure enough, as things started to pick up, even though sales rates didn't necessarily pick up in September, we're dealing with a much lower inventory level. So the competition for homes has picked up and that pace has picked up. And so that trend is reversed back and we're looking at um, nine days in the Fraser Valley board area for September and about 11 in greater Vancouver. So we're getting back into single digits. Um, and that type of thing can be really challenging for both buyers competing with other buyers, trying to find a place as well as for sellers who maybe they're trying to find another place they list and they have now a week to find another place mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. buy and, you know, arrange all the financing, get everything in order. And so Ryan Wong, I was curious, you know, how you navigate these tight situations for, for some of your sell side clients or your listing clients who maybe have a tough time trying to coordinate all of that and still, you know, get full value for their home. Yeah. I think it comes with, uh, experience and understanding of the market. So, um, when you sit down first with the seller, um, a lot of the times they're thinking of the buy side as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so there's double side. Um, it's kind of walking through of like, you know, what's your, your objective, your goal here, uh, where are you buying? What's your next step? in the process and then evaluating, is that something that's attainable easily? Very difficult to, are you open to the the risk of buying first and selling after looking at the, the data? It's still a seller's market. So it's very strong. Even at the top of close to three weeks on the market, it's not very long. So usually I'll tend to try to coach a client through and uh, understand their financial qualifications, how it works, 
explain the pros and cons of both sides, the risks involved. And um, in this market, the majority of my clients have been buying before selling. Um, they know the risk involved is, you know, depending, looking again at the product or product, what, where, where are you moving to and what are you holding to sell? If you're not going to be buying here or moving out of province or country or whatever, not an issue. Um, but usually in this market, hopefully you have some leverage in when you do sell on some times on pricing, et cetera. Uh, it's been commonplace. So I've been lucky on that, but I really think it's educating the client on both sides of the buy and the sell. It's not just the sell and this can happen. This can happen. Well, what are we looking at? Let's take a look at that before we move forward. If you're not in a rush, Hey, look at this. There's like three homes on market in this area that you're really looking at. And if I look at the sales for the last three months, these are on for like seven days and gone. So you're going to have a really tough time. And in that side, if they're selling in seven days and you see it's 50,000 above ask, you know, it's competitive. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of competition out there for you. Um, so just coaching them on that. I think it's a hard conversation sometimes because you feel like you're taking all that risk on too. But if they sell, do you have a, a secondary option? Let's say you can't buy. Are you going to move in with mom and dad? Are you going to rent? Like what's going to happen? So really having an understanding of that, um, scenario and sometimes that takes experience but also the education of looking at the data and doing your homework Mm -hmm. yeah and all this is actually the market is um as dramatic as things seemed at the end of last month just looking at the month-to-date data halfway through october now inventory is down by another 500 units so we're sub twelve thousand at the moment and that's that's in resale there's also obviously buyers do have the pre-sale option Mm -hmm. typically you know it being pre-sale, the home is not move-in ready when you uh, write the contract. But we're also seeing a similar trend in that segment of the market. So at the end of last year, the second half of last year, uh, on average, there were around, at a given point in time, around 9,000 pre-sale homes available for purchase. Um, and mm-hmm. now in through the first six-plus months of this year, um, we're sitting at somewhere between uh, seven and 8,000. So it's not as dramatic a drop as we're seeing in resale, but we're even constrained on the pre-sale side. Um, and I know Ryan Wong, we were talking about this prior to recording today, mm-hmm. um, that that pre-sale market is kind of a different beast and accessing it as a buyer can be difficult. Um, it might be hard for some people to know where to look for information or to, to make rational decisions and comparisons. Um, and so like you were talking earlier uh, with us before we recorded about how you work with buyers or what you do to stay on top of pre-sale opportunities. Yeah. Pre-sale is a, a bit of a different beast and an option and bu- buyers do ask about it. Like some that are in resale and they're, they're, they're finding themselves striking out time and time again. Like maybe we should look at a pre-sale. Um, there's a perception too with, you know, on the news out there, people, I have my clients personally sign up for pre-sales. I say, I'll do it. You do it too. Um, stay educated, stay on top of it. Just don't rely on me. Um, and they were seeing things like bonuses coming through and through COVID or price adjustments. And then now it's ramped up post new year, you know, all through the year now, um, where developers have all come back online. We're going there. There's like 70% sold out in the first couple of days. Uh, this is seeing as a norm again. Um, what I do is obviously a lot of the, the Rennie advisors are, are lucky to be able to have data to pick from here and use that data for their clients to understand. They also have the experience of working in projects, visiting our projects, et cetera. Um, but it's taking the 
the data and the education. And if you're, you're being on point of stuff and I'm very fortunate to have an assistant who, who helps me with it. I know it's very time consuming, but you have to put in the time to know your stuff. Like that's real estate. If you don't know your stuff, like you're not doing it correct in my mind anyways. So advising your clients, well, this is what's happening in this area. This is what's happening in here. Here's the pricing trends. Um, when I'm telling them like, Hey, this is the one I'm interested in, in Brentwood, this new project. Um, I'm telling them like, this is, you know, the last project, very similar pricing. This one might be higher. This is where it's, you know, low heat selling at this now. This is what Metro Town last third floor, 13 plus 1300 a foot. Get all that information for them and then explain um, just what they're going to be looking at. Like if you're looking at the lowest price, let's just tick that off. You know, there's, you know, the process is that there's developer VIPs, realtor VIPs, past purchasers, et cetera. Um, so really just setting their expectations properly. Um, and then you do your job, which is showing up at the development, reaching out, you know, I've worked on development for a long time and selling projects for Rennie. That's how I started. And it was quite annoying. Some people that would reach out all the time, but at the end of the day, when I could give out the information, I remember to give them the information. So, mm-hmm. and you know, they were just doing their job. And when you get that and you forward it to that, your, your client, even if it doesn't have prices before an email has come out, they feel like you're providing something that they didn't have their hands on. So I think you have to keep doing that. And that provides, you know, the experience and the data and your reach as an advisor. Um, but also just, you know, with the tempo of pre-sales then is, is trying to get in as soon as possible, be on top of it, stay in, like build relationships, especially with those people that are on developments. And I mean, like introduce yourself to the sales manager. Like you go to one salesperson, bring them lunch. Yeah. Build those relationships within the industry. Uh, you're really lucky to have a Rennie name behind you. It does have some brownness to it or, or whatever you want to call it. And uh, keep your client very informed and stay on top of it and set their expectations is what I would say. So let's go into insight number two. The imbalance between inventory and sales activity has propped up prices. The median prices of sold homes is up 9% overall in the region year over year and 24% for detached homes and 28% for townhomes. So we've been seeing a lot of price growth over the last 12 to 18 months. Are prices still rising or have they still leveled off? Yeah, it's interesting the... um the year-over-year increase in median townhome prices of 28%. I mean, clearly that is unsustainable, you know, even over the medium term. Um, But it does go to show you, I call townhomes Goldilocks housing because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not too expensive. It's not too small. It kind of meets the needs of a lot of people that are participating in the housing market. If you're a downsizer and you don't want to go from a detached home all the way to a, an apartment or a condo, um, you want a little bit more space. Or if you're uh, somebody who's moving up in the market, maybe your family's growing, either you're not ready to take care of a detached home Mm -hmm. or the price is too much of a stretch. And so you land on the townhome. So there's sort of demand coming at that segment from both sides. And it's also the smallest segment of our market in terms of overall supply. So in some ways, not surprising, but 28% is such a huge number. And then even if we look at the um, month over month change, just looking at between August and September, uh, the change in median prices across the region Townhomes are up 7%. I wouldn't put too much stock in the month-over-month numbers just in the sense that they can vary. So mm-hmm. 7% is not... I wouldn't extrapolate that to some sort of annual change. But that is a big... That's a that's a big number. And then for uh, detached homes, uh, a 4% growth uh, compared to August and, and condos were up 1% in value overall. So um, 
it's interesting. The last month was a bit of an anomaly again, because even though sales fell off, uh, inventory wasn't really there. Um, it is a seller's market as Ryan Wong was saying earlier. Um, what we have been seeing over sort of the previous six months was a bit of a plateauing in prices of more expensive homes, like, like detached homes and townhomes just generally. And then, and then on the condo side, there's, because those are the, the, the quote unquote, most affordable home types, there was a little bit more room to run for prices. So we have seen more consistent gains over the the last six months for condos compared to ground-oriented housing. And we're seeing it both the uh, north of the Fraser market and the south of the Fraser market. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know Ryan Wise um, was looking at the data sort of spatially and, and, and noticed something really interesting in the data. Yeah. So when you look at, we'll start with the detached homes. Um, there's been a lot more price growth in the Fraser Valley. So I think, you know, the perception is when you look for a detached home, you, there's a lot more affordability in the Valley, generally speaking, uh, than in the greater Vancouver board area. And so um, a lot of people will go to the Valley to try and find, a, you know, that detached house mm-hmm. they're looking for. And so we've seen year over year that price growth in the Fraser Valley up 34%, wow. uh, which is more than double the price growth that we've seen in the Vancouver board area. And so that run up in prices, the uh, the median price for detached homes out there is up to $1.4 million now, which is, you know, That's seems pretty, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, this time last year in the greater Vancouver board area, it was 1.43. So they're all, it's almost the same price in the Fraser Valley as it, as it was a year ago. That is mind boggling. That's really crazy. Yeah. yeah. And I so, didn't know that. That's crazy. Wow. And so the, the gap between those two areas um, has really shrunk in recent months. And so that the, the difference between the two areas is about $269,000 right now. Uh, and that's the lowest it's been since July 2012. Uh, so in other words, the premium you would pay to be in Vancouver, Burnaby, Coquitlam, those areas is the lowest it's been in almost a decade. Uh, and mm. so that relative affordability that we talk about that has existed in the valley is being eroded uh, as so many people have gone that way to, to try mm-hmm. and chase that value. Mm-hmm. And so we, it's coming back a bit. And so there's not as much relative affordability in that area as there has been in recent years. I, I've, I've even seen that in, in the pre-sale out that way. Mm-hmm. There's one that just recently came on on market in Langley. It wasn't Langley City Centre, just just a little bit further. Um, you know, it's not a transportation hub. There's no SkyTrain there yet, but supposedly coming down mm-hmm. the road, right? Yeah. They were selling, I think they sold out their, their first tower. It was close to or at $1,000 a foot. Wow. Yeah, that's wow. incredible. Yeah. Insane. And, and it's a beautiful tower and they have great amenities, but same, you're still buying a piece of property um, in a condo tower. And that's what they were selling out there. And they did well. There's lineups waiting for it. And especially when you consider that in the context of, um, you know, looking at Berquitlam and Lougheed, where they're still not really cracking the $1,000 a square foot mark. So to mm-hmm. see that south of the phrase, it really mm-hmm. speaks to how the perception of different parts of the region has changed in that dynamic north and south of the Fraser has for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're, they're definitely getting like, you know, Langley's a hotspot for the young families. Yeah. I think, you know, it has certain stigmas of what people think about it in a good way. Um, but that's still far out. You're skipping Coquitlam. You're skipping past Surrey, really, all those kind of things. So it's it's definitely interesting to see how the values are carrying yeah, out that you way. You can still get a lot of space out there, but it'll cost you. Mm-hmm. So we have people who are obviously are, are selling in the city and are also buying in the Fraser Valley. Who is buying in the city? Who is buying in the Fraser Valley? Then? Um, definitely People in the city are migrating out within a city. So whether they're moving to Coquitlam, 
Langley, like we said, Chilliwack, et cetera, how far east Surrey, Tawasson, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, they're buying more size. We all, we all know that's what they've been doing and taking their money and, and buying more size, having more freedom of space, et cetera. Uh, I think in the city, you know, you definitely have people who are also buying in the city and staying in the city. So there's that happening. And if mm-hmm. I sell, I have to buy and you're seeing the listings trade. Right. But we know that condos were slow to lag. Like people had made that jump out and whether it was even foreign ownership, maybe selling as well. But I really think that, you know, we've, we've talked about in the past, the the migration numbers uh, just within even Canada of how people from Ontario, people from Alberta um, are all moving West, you know, mm-hmm. making that lifestyle change. Um, and I, I really think that when they first make that jump, a lot will buy. Uh, I have clients. I actually have friends who have done that. I, I had a referral. Um, she was moving from Toronto. She's moved here. She set up roots in, um, Cedar cottage. Mm-hmm. Now her mom and dad want to move here mm-hmm. because the two of the daughters are here. Right. So like they're making that migration, but the, the mom and dad want to rent first. Cause they, they're very particular. They're older. They don't know exactly what. So they said, Ryan, help me find a, a rental in Olympic Village. Do you know anything? How much is this going to cost? But at the end goal, we're going to buy. And mm-hmm. I think there's all of that happening. People are even moving here, getting a feel, and they're going to love it. Like, you know, that's why they're moving here. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go into insight number three. Inventory may be limited, but is not for a lack of new listings. The 80,000 new listings we've seen in the first nine months of this year is more than in the first nine months of any year in our history. Ryan, we've been talking about record low inventory for a few months now as a way of looking at how tight the supply side of the market is. What's the story with new listings and is that a measure telling us something different about supply? When you say Ryan, I assume you mean me. (laughs) Yes, you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's interesting because you can actually measure, you know, we often talk about housing supply by using the metric of inventory or total listings, the number of homes available for purchase um, at a given point in time. But there is another measure of supply, which is new listings. It's interesting because sales act, if you have robust sales activity, what happens is it draws down inventory. So they're not, you know, what we call like mutually exclusive variables, right? So if there's all else being equal, if there are more sales and you're going to see less inventory, if there are fewer sales, you're going to see inventory build up. But then the variable that's not being considered in that equation is new listings, like how much water is flowing into the tub, so to speak, right? So what's really interesting is you know, how we look at how tight our market is today. It's very much a seller's market across home types, across many price points and in, in many sub-markets throughout the region. What would the market look like and what would prices look like if we hadn't seen the type of new listing activity that we have seen, as you said, mm-hmm. you know, a record for the first nine months of this year. And if we look at the past 12 months of new listings um, in September for our region, we were in excess of a hundred thousand. And that's been the case. If we walk that back as a 12 month sum going back into August and into July and June for, um, six months, we've been in excess of a hundred thousand new listings over the the prior 12 month period. And we actually hit an all time high of 108,000, uh, more than 108,000 new listings, uh, for the 12 months ending in May of this year. And that, that mm-hmm. exceeds the, uh, we were in the high 90,000s in 2016 and really, you know, that period and this period trump all other periods. So we have been very active and thankfully we've had that because that has given options to 
um, buyers. And that probably, even though we do see prices rising considerably year over year, and then even as you know, we just talked about in the most recent month, funny enough, or thankfully, um, the uh, new listings activity, the heightened new listings activity has probably mitigated some of those increases. So Ryan Wong, on the topic of new listings, uh, what are you seeing out there um, for your clients who are maybe thinking about listing, who maybe have a few options? What are you telling them? Is it a good time to list? What what should they be doing? You know, I think that's very individual in the aspect of like what they're doing. And we touched on that before. Um, but also looking at the market landscape, right? Like there's a lot of people who traditionally will say like it's fall and spring. Those are your busy markets. And uh, it's a lot slower in, in winter, summer. Uh, I feel like that traditional kind of spike has been put out. Sure, you know, it's dependent on sellers a lot of times or if they want to close their doors for the holidays. I had a potential client come to me. She had been working with another realtor. Uh, she was selling her one bedroom in Mount Pleasant. Uh, this was in October, November of last year. And she couldn't sell it. And I looked at it and I was like, well, it's competitively priced, but the market was slow in that segment at that time. And, and we know why, you know, like we said, the one bedroom exodus, condos moving out, et cetera. So if you have that data and you're prepared with it, you can explain that a little better. Um, but, you know, these condo, I, I just did uh, a sale there um, in that same Mount Pleasant area. Actually, in that same building, I wrote an offer for a client. I, I lost to Danny Chow, who's in our office. He, he ended up coming on top um, by $3,000, that guy. And then um, I ended up writing on a neighboring one, and it had over seven offers. Uh, it went 50000 above the asking. We, we got it. It was very, very close as well. Um, so I, th- I think, like, you know, that's just a sign of, like, understanding the landscape. And if that person came on, I'm like, that market's hot. Like, it's booming again. You don't want to, like, wait on it. Um, I think, you know, with that rise in, like you said, the detached, the townhouse, there's real opportunities in that now. Absolutely. That, that you guys mentioned. So there's my client's an investor. He also sees the Broadway line and all these other things that as me as a, an advisor is supposed to advise them on and stuff where you see value. So, um, yeah, I think right now you'll still have a good buyer pool out there. Very serious buyer pool. Like we, we mentioned again, touched on is like swinging the bat is becoming less and less because those listing numbers are going down. The serious people are going to go out there and swing it, but um, you also have to be mindful of then your, your seller and what position you're going to put them on when there's not a lot of inventory out there for them. Thank you, Ryan Wong. It's so great to always hear your experience and your advice. Um, is there any added advice or any final thoughts that you want to share with potential home buyers or home sellers? With home buyers and home sellers? Home buyers uh, or home Do you know sellers? who those people are? You know, one, you know the people like own homes? Or oh, want to, those want, are them. Want to buy one? I like those people. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just make sure that... Um, you're staying on top of the data. I think data is important. It tells you the the story of where you're coming from and the trends and where you're going. Um, not only data and like sales numbers, but like we touched on is is migration and looking at that and then taking into account like international possible migration. Mm-hmm. Um, also looking at politics, you know, like we've t- touched on politics a lot and uh, Ryan and Ryan here uh, definitely can tell you more about that. But like uh, that, I think when they bring that out in the landscape and stuff, it's valuable information. Mm-hmm. So to be bringing to the table and keeping mindful. So just make sure that, you know, um, you're staying on top of the data, uh, what's happening in the market and uh, having your agent keep in communication with you all the time about that stuff. 
Great. Thank you. And if our listeners want to get more information or learn more, how can they reach out to you? Email me anytime. rwong at rennie.com. R-W-O-N-G at rennie, R-E-N-N-I-E.com. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of the Rennie Podcast. To dig deeper into the data, be sure to check out our latest Rennie review and other intelligence information on rennie.com slash intelligence. Be the first to receive this information straight to your inbox. Register for intelligence updates. Thank you so much, Ryan Wong, for joining us today. It's always a pleasure. Yes, thank you. Thank you, guys. Ryan, Ryan, and Justine. Thanks, Justine. Ryan, Ryan, Justine. Ryan Ryan Weiss. Thank you so much again. We'll chat soon. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, bye. The Rennie Podcast is a Rennie production and is recorded on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, all resources mentioned in the episode can be found on rennie.com. <laughs>